Today's Bible reading comes from Mark um, chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. There are certainly some people who seem to uh, court controversy wherever they go. Uh, the Donald, as he was once known, uh, you just mention the name and your mind immediately probably goes to one of two places, either a deep love for the Donald um, or perhaps more likely some disdain. Uh, over the summer, um, we've seen one of our own favourite controversial sons up to his usual antics on the tennis court. Uh, Nick Kyrgios is someone who provokes uh, rather extreme reactions from people. You either love him or you hate him. I'm trying to love him. Uh, or perhaps our very own Pauline. I'll just move on from there. Okay. Sometimes it's a person's politics. Sometimes it's their ideology. Um, sometimes it's a person's behaviour. Uh, but these are the kinds of people who are either loved or despised with an equal kind of intensity. Uh, Jesus himself was no stranger to controversy. In fact, it seemed to follow him everywhere that he went. Not that Jesus, I think, went looking for it, um, but there's no doubt that his life and his teaching provoked very strong reactions from the people of his own day. Uh, and... I'd suggest, continues to do so still. Uh, but during his lifetime, it's the religious authorities in Israel who seem to be particularly offended by him. Um, they seem to... Well, they don't have any respect for this sort of upstart preacher from Nazareth, uh, and Je Jesus certainly isn't afraid to stick it to them either. They didn't like being challenged, they didn't like being upstaged, they didn't like his message, and they didn't like him. Uh, and we see this conflict, this controversy, begin very early in Jesus' public ministry. Uh, in chapters 2 and 3 that we're looking at here in Mark today, 
Uh, these chapters are dominated by all kinds of run-ins that Jesus has. In fact, there are six separate controversies, at least in here, between Jesus and the religious authorities. Uh, we're not going to try and cover each story in detail, but just hone in on a couple of them. Um, and these stories uh, reveal to us something of, well, we'll call it the ugliness of religion. The first controversy we're looking at has to do with Jesus and his bad associates. Um, we pick up that story in chapter 2. We didn't have it read for us, so we might read that together now, uh, starting from verse 13 in chapter 2. Uh, it's the story surrounding Jesus calling Levi uh, to be one of his disciples. Chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, Jesus has been gathering what will become his 12 disciples, and one of those he calls is this man named Levi. Now, the problem with Levi was his profession. Levi was a tax collector. Uh, unpopular enough, I think, in any day and age, but in Palestine at the time, they were viewed with particular disdain they were looked at very much as greedy traitors to their own people, um, and for pretty good reason. They were actually employed by the Roman occupiers, and the reputation that the tax collectors had was that they would fatten themselves uh, on the taxes of their own people. Their wealth came with reputation too for immoral living. And so when Jesus calls Levi to follow him, uh, that in and of itself might be shocking enough, but the dinner party that follows seems to be where all the trouble starts. Levi invites Jesus to dinner at his place and invites all of his mates around. Uh, but Levi's friends are much like him, far from the most respectable members of society. And this doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who see this uh, are deeply offended by Jesus interacting with these people. See, who you share a meal with well, I think it's significant in all cultures, but particularly in those days, uh, what Jesus was doing was quite scandalous. Who you ate with said a lot about you. Table fellowship was a very intimate and very powerful thing. Jesus was supposed to be this rabbi, this holy man, a, a teacher. He had no business eating with social outcasts and religious misfits. Or so the Pharisees thought. So these Pharisees, they, they viewed themselves very much as a self-appointed guardians of orthodoxy within their own community, in their own culture. They themselves would never have degraded themselves in a way like this, at eating with people like Levi and his friends. But Jesus says their reaction shows that they're missing the whole point about why he's come. With that powerful line, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick, that he's not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you went down to RPA's emergency department this afternoon, 
and you ask to see a doctor, uh, what are they going to want to know? Well, what's wrong with you? If you reply, well, nothing, I've never felt better. They're not going to admit you, are they? Well, actually, they might, but perhaps for a different reason, for a different kind of assessment, because who in their right mind wants to spend any more time in emergency than they need to? The Pharisees have got no time for Jesus because they don't realise that they're sick. They think they're the righteous. They think they're righteous already. And so they see no need of what Jesus has to offer them. It's the same reason that they look down on those people that Jesus is having dinner with. See, the, the Pharisees, they're the morally and religiously superior. And they want Levi and his mates to feel their disapproval. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is doing here. It's not as though Jesus didn't care about sin. It's not as though Jesus is saying you can live however you like and it's all the same to God. But what Jesus does demonstrate is his willingness to meet all of us where we are. Jesus would eat with the Pharisees themselves, the synagogue rulers, the leaders within the community, teachers of the law, but he would also eat with the poor, the morally questionable, the people with a reputation, the people on the fringe. And that's where Jesus always starts. He comes to us in our brokenness, in our sin. We may not be deserving of his love, but he loves us still. Now, Jesus, of course, loves us far too much to leave us as we are. Jesus is both a redeemer and a transformer of lives. But Jesus never demands that we get our act together before he'll have anything to do with us. I've no doubt that Jesus would be appalled at the way some churches turn themselves into clubs of conservative respectability, where those who are rough around the edges, perhaps even immoral, are excluded. I mean, they're not turned away at the door, but everyone knows the score. Those people are generally ignored. Certainly we hope they don't hang around. They're making us all feel a little bit too uncomfortable. We need to hear the warning in this passage. There's always a danger that we might become such respectable people that we become too perhaps fearful or even too proud to associate with those people who may not dress right, may not speak right, or are just too different from us. Jesus was no snob. He wasn't afraid to spend time with the disreputable. How else would they hear the good news of the gospel that he'd come to bring them? We do well to remember that until people come to meet Jesus, they don't necessarily have a great reason to live what we might want to call a godly life. Jesus meets people where they're at, warts and all. He went to the sick. He went to the sinners. We need to do the same. See, if we only associate with the people that we like or the people who are like us, the people we find it comfortable to be around, whose example are we following? Our Lord Jesus or the Pharisees 
Let me put it this way. How would you feel about having someone in our church who had a violent criminal history or worked as a sex worker? We talk about grace and forgiveness, but do we live it out? If we believe that God offers forgiveness and fellowship to him, uh, to anyone, just as he has to us, who are we to shun others? That's not to say this doesn't get complicated and, and hard. It's hard getting involved in the lives of broken people, you know, people whose parenting skills may leave a lot to be desired, people who sometimes behave in confronting and very selfish ways. People who just drink too much. Even those people who've got so much money that they don't need God. Jesus came for them all. Came for them just as much as he did for you. It's the sick who need a doctor. Jesus came for the sinners, not for the righteous. Do we see our church more as a hospital for the sick than a club for the respectable? The next run-ins that Jesus has with the religious leaders have to do with the Sabbath law. Um, and the first of those comes up at the end of chapter 2 there where the Pharisees have a go at Jesus because his disciples are seen are harvesting grain as they wander through a field. Well, in the Pharisees' book, it's harvesting. Uh, they're really just having a snack as they wandered through. Um, and so the, the problem with that, of course, is that it's a Saturday, it's a Sabbath, and the disciples are accused of doing work, the work of harvesting on the Sabbath. Now, we won't go into that story so much as the next story picks up on the same theme. Um, it's another argument about what this time Jesus himself does on a Sabbath day. Uh, pick up that story with me from chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read that one again. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out, and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So here is Jesus in a synagogue, again on a Saturday, a Sabbath day, and a man with a physical deformity is there. He's got this shriveled hand. Now you've got to wonder if the religious leaders actually planted this poor bloke there just to see what Jesus might do. But in any case, there he is, sitting among them, and Jesus knows what the deal is. I suppose Jesus could have ignored him, not caused a fuss or a stir. But that's not how Jesus operates. Instead, he asks the man to stand up in front of everyone. And he uses him as a, a, a way of challenging their understanding of the Sabbath, to rebuke them. He says, what's lawful on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? To do good or to do evil? They're all too gutless to even answer the question. And so Jesus goes ahead and heals the man, putting an end to his suffering. And in that, Jesus answers his own question. He says, the Sabbath is a perfect day 
for doing good, for saving life. But their hearts are stubborn. It's the same word there that gets used of Israel so many times throughout their history. It's a word for hard-heartedness. They refuse to listen to God. God's people have a long history of refusing to repent before him. And Jesus is angry about it. He's distressed at how callous they've become, how corrupted their religion has become. See, look at how they respond. Having been humbled by Jesus, having seen this incredible miracle before their very own eyes, how do they react? They go out and get together with their arch enemies, the Herodians, and set about cooking up a plan for how they can get rid of Jesus. As someone pointed out in our Bible study group last week, there's a rich irony here in how Jesus' work on the Sabbath is life-giving and the Pharisees' work on the Sabbath is about ending a life. The hypocrisy is stunning, isn't it? Outrage about Jesus healing this man, but no qualms about calling a planning meeting to figure out how to get Jesus killed. It all seems kind of ridiculous at one level, but here we can see something of the insidious nature of self-righteousness. When your insistence on adhering to your own religious traditions robs you of compassion. When that's the case, you've got yourself a bad religion. In some ways, the Pharisees would have been impressive. Impressive to see in action. Religiously devout knowledgeable, educated, wealthy on the whole, incredibly disciplined. But zeal is not enough. I mean, that was zealous, all right. So much so that when they identify that Jesus is a threat to the purity of their religion, they decide that this guy's life needs to end. Zeal wasn't in short supply. And I think their beliefs were sincerely held as well. But sincerity isn't key either. You can be sincerely wrong, as they were. No wonder Jesus has such harsh criticism for these men, why he is angry and distressed. They want to lecture Jesus about the technicalities of the law, but the tragedy is they simply don't know the God that's given them those laws. Jesus exposes how they become slaves to their own religious traditions. The people of Israel have been given a heavy burden from men like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. They've sucked all the joy out of following God, loaded people up with rule upon rule. It's a picture of how ugly religion can be. Picture those guys sitting there in the synagogue, watching and waiting for Jesus to heal this man. Not so they might rejoice in a miracle of God before their eyes, but so that they can condemn Jesus as a lawbreaker. See, they can't see Jesus for who he is. All they can see is a Sabbath breaker, a sinner, a glutton. And Jesus is called all of those things in these chapters. They simply don't want to see Jesus for who he is. Their problem was not a lack of evidence. They just saw a man with a deformity healed before their own eyes. They just didn't want to see. They didn't want to know. But here's the crux of what Jesus came to do. 
Jesus didn't come to bring a new religion. Jesus came to bring true religion, a real and personal relationship with God. Jesus came so that we might know God, so that we could know his heavenly Father just as he did. But that doesn't come about through keeping a set of laws. It comes about through trusting in him. It doesn't come about through making yourself righteous before God. It comes through God's mercy to you in Jesus. So where do you sit with Jesus? Do you see who he is? Do you even want to see who he is? Jesus offers us rest from that burden of religious observance. Rest from trying to be good enough, do enough for God. But to find that peace with God, you need to let go of some things. You need to let go of your pride. You need to let go of your self-righteousness. You know that lovely feeling of superiority you get? You can look down on others for their moral failings. You have to let that go. And to acknowledge that you too are one of the sick ones that needs the doctor. Jesus declares war on the self-righteous. He says, you cannot bring yourself to God. That just takes you down the path of the Pharisees in a bad religion. And these stories in Mark's Gospel provide a warning that we all need to hear. You might not bang on about the Sabbath. I don't think that's a terribly common thing to do these days. But you may have your confidence in all the wrong places. You may think that you're being zealous for God. But have you missed the big picture like the Pharisees had? In some ways, religion is a perfect breeding ground for the self-righteous because it always looks the part, makes us feel like we've done something for God to deny yourself things, perhaps even the discipline of being at church each week, the activity of prayer and singing, the service of volunteering. It, it can all look impressive. feels like you're doing something that God should be impressed with. But know that those things in themselves cannot and will not bring you to God. Jesus can't help those who will not admit that they are sick and need a doctor. God's invitation to us requires us to acknowledge our need of him, our need of forgiveness. For those of us that have already come to know Jesus, remember what you have in Christ. Remember what he came to free you from, that burden of self-righteousness, the slavery of religious traditions. He came to bring us true religion, a real and a personal relationship with God. Let's not trade that thing in for a bad religion.